0: Hey, everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with a few very special guests, Julia Entoven, founder and CEO of Kapwing, and then Justine and Olivia Moore, uh, investors at CRB. Uh, guys, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for
2: having us.
0: Julie. why don't you start by giving us a brief background as to what is Kapwing and how did you come to start it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Kapwing is an online image and video editor. So we help people create multimedia content um, in the browser. And the problem that we started with was that Existing editors for video especially um, are still the same like software programs that people used two decades ago. They're these powerful, heavyweight um, desktop editors that you install onto your computer. They take a long time to learn how to use. And even once you learn how to use them, they're slow and siloed just to your computer and don't work across devices. So We specifically, my co-founder and I, we were both trying to do really simple video editing tasks. We were uh, independently at the same time. uh, I was trying to append like a series of photos into a video slideshow. And he was trying to like add text annotations essentially to like a travel video he made uh, from his family trip. And just doing those like really simple things was still super challenging, even though it should have been easy. So we started out basically building a a tool that we ourselves could use. And that has now blossomed into a full multimedia uh, creation suite that helps um, creators of all sorts of different expertise levels get things done quickly with each other in the browser rather than needing to use these heavyweight programs offline.
0: And when did you know that this was going to be a really big business opportunity? And how did you sort of? way you know a common question you got at seed was why couldn't incumbents do this you know how how did you sort of think about that
2: yeah so um like most entrepreneurs we got lucky in that we started building the very first version of this which was just one very specific tool to make one media format and the demand was so strong for that um that tool at the time that the creators that were using it just pulled every subsequent tool out of us for like several different video editing tools. So we built a meme baker, we built a resizer, we built a subtitle editor, um, and a bunch of other things that basically creators were begging us for our users' were, And it was the, when I say we got lucky, I mean that um, we hit the timing of the market right in that um, it was just becoming possible to create this kind of technology in the browser because of the affordability of cloud storage and also um, data transfer and just web advancements in web technology. Um, the demand for uh, video and animated content was growing tremendously from the consumer side. And so uh, we basically came into the market exactly at the time that um, the tool was needed and grew just on the organic demand for those products.
0: Justine and Olivia, why don't you give a little bit of your background in, in the space and, and what got you really excited uh, about quick?
1: For sure. Um, so, we work at CRV on the consumer SMB investment team. Um, the two of us spend a lot of time on millennial and Gen Z trends and uh, the consumer base there and kind of what they care about and what they're spending their time and money on. Um, and one of the topics that we were most excited about was kind of the rise of the creator economy. Uh, like, we've spent a lot of time at events like VidCon and podcast movement, and we see everyone from, you know, six year olds all the way up wanting to have a newsletter or a podcast or a YouTube channel or an Instagram or something like that. Um, And seeing it as a real career option that they can make money from and build a business around, which was super exciting. So I think the first, uh, our first kind of Reason for getting excited about Kapwing was just being a, a core tool um, in the infrastructure of developing this new economy, which we see as is huge.
3: Yeah, and then I think um, as part of that too, we as like the SMB side of what we do, we've just seen so many businesses pop up where um, you don't need a ton of people to run a lot of types of businesses now, uh, which is great. But then the bad thing about that is you usually don't have like huge media teams and expensive budgets for a lot of software. And so the idea of tools that you could use in the browser and that there wasn't like this huge barrier to entry to learn how to edit a video or make a GIF or meme or something like that was really attractive to us. And then also we've known Julia for a while, um, so we all went to Stanford together. Julia was a few years ahead of us and we worked together at um, the student newspaper. So we're just really excited uh, to reconnect with her and, and meet Eric, too. Uh,
0: let, let's talk a bit about the, the creator economy. Can you sort of give a bit of a, a market map or sort of just draw? What, how should people who are new to that term understand what are the different types of companies that will emerge from, from that sort of broad sector?
3: Yep. Um, So I think a lot of people think of the creator economy as like influencer marketing tools, which is a bit uh, reductive. And I think it's definitely gone beyond that now. Um, And so you can kind of think of like new platforms like Twitch or Instagram. Um, And then you can think of like uh, tools that help people kind of create the content, like things like playing, um, editing tools, recording tools. Um, and then there's all these other tools that we've seen popping up around different things about being an influencer, whether that's financing, whether that's like finding partners, what Doing are a the- merch
1: line, yeah. setting up a website. So I think that the content creation side is the, the first big barrier to entry, which is um, part of why we got so excited about Kapoing in particular. And then there's all these other kind of tertiary services around turning that content into a, a real full-time business. Yeah,
3: I think if you like, there's been a lot of articles about this recently, but I think people don't realize, even for YouTubers and others with tons of followers, how long it takes, it takes them, them to like edit their content and put something together that's like... Looks good and looks semi professional, they spend hours and hours every day, even more time than they spend actually recording the content. So, there's a big opportunity there.
2: Uh, yeah, also, I just to, to riff on that, um, you know, a big trend that we see is uh, basically that more and more, and we believe this will continue to be true, um, j- sort of the tedious um, jobs are being replaced by AI and something that's not replaced by by machines or or by that that humans still do much better than machines is storytelling and sort of the creativity that goes into content creation. And so I think that we see this space as as being something that's going to continue growing a lot because humans love stories, they love entertainment, and it's something that uh, people are are really good at as creators. And so we think more and more people will continue to go into um, entertainment and, and storytelling type professions.
0: Yeah, and let, let's uh, focus on those segments one by one. So, why do you talk a bit about new platforms? You mentioned Twitch. You mentioned Instagram. For for, I'm curious for live video. I mean, gaming is the only thing that's really really worked. What what types of new platforms are you sort of intrigued by, or or have requests for startups in, or, or envision really taking off in the next couple of years?
3: Within video specifically,
0: or, or or new platforms generally.
1: Yeah, I think it's both new platforms, but also kind of new use cases and new types of creators on existing platforms. Like I think we saw a huge shift in how people thought about YouTube, honestly, after kind of Emma Chamberlain and the style that she takes to creating and editing, which is extremely time-intensive.
0: And give some. Um, is she a makeup artist? Give, she gives, who is Emma Chamberlain?
3: Oh, yeah. She's like a Gen Z influencer star <laughs> with millions and millions of followers. <laughs> yeah, I think she was one of, like, the
1: largest growing um, channels of the past two years. And her, she's kind of a very relatable style, um, but she edits things extremely intensely. So she'll have tons
3: of short, like, Quick clips, quick cuts, and but lots it, of transitions, lots of like overlays of like sparkles and font and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, that I think is um, super appealing to the Gen Z audience. So I think we've seen a little bit of a transition away from on existing platforms like YouTube, just sitting in front of a camera and, and talking straight at your audience for you know 10 15 30 minutes at a time into something that's a bit more exciting and interactive which I think is where editors really matter yeah
3: and then we've also seen a bunch of like niche platforms pop up and we'll see like how big they get but around like if you think of categories of YouTube like things like beauty or like fashion or sports or even like people Healthcare. who like read and talk about books or people with chronic health issues, there's apps now popping up for kind of each of those specific niches um, that have like features and, and curation and the ability for new creators to rise up in like a smaller ecosystem that's more tailored to their interests. So we always look at those too. Yeah. And then I guess TikTok and Visco are some of the more Gen Z
1: specific apps that are, have been around for a while, but in terms of where Gen Zers might be newly creating content or spending more of their time creating content, I think we're seeing more
3: people emerge there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Would you put Discord in that same category?
3: Yeah. Discord is weird because a lot of it is still text-based. I know they're doing a lot more around audio too, but um, I think people have different ideas around like what counts as content creation, and we see we see that more honestly is like a chat application, community management, and, and community management. But I'm sure we'll start to see more and more like content creation there
1: as well. Yeah, I know some similar to something like Patreon. I know some um, creators have kind of paid only or subscription only channels where they release special content on, on something like a Discord. Yep.
0: But do you have a thoughts on live video specifically? Like, do you think there will be a Twitch for X that emerges next year, or what is sort of uniquely hard about live video? in terms of building really a big business?
3: Yeah, I think um, the the existing platforms have been really hard. Uh, in terms of like a barrier to entry in that space. We've seen a number of companies come up that have tried to be like the Twitch for X. Um, and it's just really hard to, like people always wanna distribute their content in the place where they have the biggest audience and the best chance to kind of go big and have a viral hit. And so it's hard to convince people to uh, put their content on a smaller platform unless it's like really 10X better for whatever type of content they're making. And there is some kind of audience there who's paying attention. And it's like really hard to build the audience without the content and vice versa.
1: It's also kind of an ephemeral stream. So when you think about like you can record a live video and maybe post it on YouTube or another platform later and get views. Um, But in terms of just the barrier to entry to is harder. Like you have to, it's something interesting has to be happening in a time constrained way. Although we did see at VidCon, there is this kind of rising industry of live streamers of, you know, teenagers who just wear GoPros and backpacks all day and kind of stream their whole life. And there actually is a whole software industry building around that as well, because they have very practical issues. Like I have to go to the restroom. What software can I use to pause my stream? Um, so that, you know, people know that I'm still streaming for the day, but I need like five minutes off or something like that.
2: Yeah, I also think that, um, you know, uh, there's this interesting trend of basically people, uh, companies rather, bringing uh, video production in-house. So uh, most people are, most companies are still um, outsourcing video production to agencies. Actually, I shouldn't say that, but uh, uh, over time, we see this trend of companies bringing video production more and more in-house as things like live video and sort of this more like raw authentic form of uh, like high quantity high volume video production becomes more popular and so it's a trend that's happening not just at the individual level but also at the um, at the corporate level
3: yeah we know LinkedIn is doing a ton um, to get businesses to make more videos and like doing a lot to promote them within the feed so even when we were at VidCon which is typically known as like a Teen influencer conference, there was a ton of people talking about LinkedIn and like brand managers being anxious about like, how do I make high quality looking video on a daily basis that I can put in the LinkedIn feed because we know like LinkedIn is going to promote it for us.
0: Yeah. Why don't you add on to explain what's the why now for Kapwing and in terms of why couldn't Kapwing be as big five years ago? Like, what what are some other trends that have enabled Kapwing's rise?
2: Yeah. So I've mentioned the Um, technology trend of basically cloud affordability becoming, um, or the cloud becoming more affordable. Um, I also think there's a trend in how people are, what people expect from their productivity software, that um, people more and more expect their productivity software to be something that works on across devices and something that they can collaborate um, in real time in with their colleagues um, and so, I think that there's uh, that just that trend because of things like Google Docs and Figma and um, all sorts of other like real-time collaborative software um, will move the same way for for multimedia for video and audio. Um, I think there's also this, as we've already talked about, this this trend towards really high-volume video production. And when I talk to our customers and and people that aren't our customers who work in marketing agencies or who work at um, creative firms, um, they talk a lot about this problem of how do we keep our quality bar high? Yeah, how do we keep our quality bar high while also meeting the quantity demands for all these platforms? And that is exactly the kind of um, problem that needs um, cloud-based software because there's just more visibility for everyone involved, which helps keep the, helps the quality bar up. And um, it cuts out sort of all this time that you need to like download software, like re-export it, all of the delays that come with asynchronous collaboration. It basically, having everything online, everything uh, on one URL that everyone can refer to, makes it a lot easier to. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to um, version control and quality control for high volume content.
1: Yeah. I think that was one of the other things that really excited us about Kapwing, both when you look at consumer and enterprise creators, it's not like you're just on Instagram anymore. You're just on LinkedIn or something like people are creating videos, they're creating photos, they're creating memes, they're creating gifts. And so even if you look at like an Adobe's cloud-based solutions that they've come out with, it's very much segmented into like this one specific functionality. And then if you want to do something else, you have to like log into to, like in another place. And then, and so the idea that in Complain, you can do everything in one place. Like there are, the tools are very sophisticated for each use case, but they're also kind of broad enough and there's enough functionality there that it, it covers all the major types of content. And you can kind of collaborate there as a team was pretty exciting to us.
0: Why don't you give some context, uh, on the broader sort of creator economy uh, in general, or, or either of you. When did it sort of start? How has it sort of emerged o- over time and, and where is it going?
2: You know, the creator economy, when we were, when my co founder and I were at Google, you know, there's no place like the inside of Google to learn about the rise of video. Um, we uh, saw it not just in. Uh, YouTube uh, creations. Like uh, for a long time, the number of videos that were uploaded every day had been like pretty flat on YouTube, even though watch time was rising, um, you know, by a lot. The number of creations was pretty stable. And then in like 2015, that started picking up again. There are more and more creators starting to come onto YouTube. And uh, we also saw this actually on image search. Uh, We were working, both my co-founder and I were working on uh, yeah, both my co-founder and I were working on features related to GIFs and to video in the image search feed because the queries around this kind of content were just growing so much. So I think there's, you know, we saw basically the rise of demand from consumers for video content increasing, um, you know, five years ago. And then now the the uh, answer to that from companies and from individual creators um, has uh, you know, been evident in the last three years as that kind of content creation has picked up.
3: I think like different mediums started at different times. So even like almost 15 years ago now, podcasting started, it hasn't really taken off, um, until like five years ago, but probably the biggest things were like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, And then the iPhone, just like smartphones in general, like people have so much more time to consume content. They're not like tied to their computers. They can be like in the car, in line at the grocery store, wherever, and be consuming content. And because they have a lot more time, it doesn't have to be like the same highly produced uh, content as like TV or other other sources. And I think we especially have seen in the past uh, probably like three ish years the tides kind of turn So now when you like survey teens about like who are, who are the biggest stars to you? It's mostly like play tube and Instagram stars versus like traditional TV or movie stars. And you're even seeing like big entertainment companies like scouting, like Disney is trying to like catch up with that by like trying to cast those types of creators in their, in their next shows, um, which has been really interesting as well. I
1: think another interesting evolution over the past five years in terms of the creator economy has been the diversification of, monetization lines, basically. So before it was mostly just like digital ads. And I think creators have now been able to go direct to consumer in exciting ways and maybe more sustainable ways. Like I think Sarah V seeded Patreon back in 2013, 2013, 2014. Now we're seeing all these companies spin up that let you launch a merch line or hold events much more easily. And I think that's pretty new to the past four or five years in terms of being able to do that kind of thing in a scalable way, which makes being a creator, I think a lot more compelling.
3: Yeah, like a full time business versus like a hobby. Yes, or or a hobby. Yeah, but more money from it.
0: How, how do you guys think about the difference between uh, creators and influencers, or where, where's the overlap? Where's the difference, and how, how have we seen sort of uh, the state of influencers rise o- over the years? Or, uh, not just in what capacity, but how has it changed?
3: So that's. I don't know if there's like a technical difference in definition. True. I think like. Uh, between creators and influencers, I think we tend to use, like a lot of creators or people who make content who like may be influencers don't like the term influencers because I think they feel like it implies that it's kind of like not a real job and they're not like adding value in some way. And so I think the term creators implies that like it's hard work and they're actually like making something and kind of recognizing the hard work that they're doing.
1: Yeah, I think influencers is somewhat, of a, In some circles, somewhat of a derogatory term almost because it implies like a monetary focus. Like I'm influencing these people to buy these things. Yeah. Like I'm
3: just shilling product basically. Yes.
1: Whereas creator is like, oh, I'm making, you know, I'm putting hours into like a Casey Neistat type, like beautiful, highly edited, really kind of sophisticated video. I think a lot of influencers actually are creators. It might not be true that, that all of them are.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also I we see um, among the creators on Kapwing and among our customers, there's a huge amount of overlap between all of these groups. So, for example, like most of our our creators will make content on Kapwing that's both for like a business, like a professional purpose. Like they'll make you know, Instagram stories that are promoting a product and for like personal use cases, like maybe they are just sharing something with a friend or they have a personal Instagram channel where like they're just, you know, promoting their own or like not promoting, but, you know, talking about their own lives or maybe they're even like helping a friend who's an artist with their channel. So um, even though they create content for different groups, creative people don't see these, Um, don't see these lanes as being like really hard and fast lines. There is overlap and increasing amounts of overlap between the kind of corporate world and the personal world in terms of uh, converging on high volume and like high personality content.
0: I personally don't mind when people call me an influencer. So (laughs) I don't take offense to it. You know, we were talking about video, we were were talking about creators in the last, you know, five years, last decade, I feel like video sort of fell short a little bit. Like how many There are all the, you know, social cam. I and mean, there's all these startups that sort of crashed and burned. How many big startups have been built on top of video or even in creator content, like this Patreon. And then there's like, what else, right? Like how, how have we seen it play out and, and what's, what's going to change?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think in the video infrastructure side, like in terms of actual creation of content, this is kind of to the point of why now for Kapwing is that there wasn't really It was very hard for founders or startups to create something that was better than like a a desktop like app like Adobe. So I think a lot of those companies have failed because first of all, a lot of creators had invested in kind of the time to get past the learning curve on those legacy tools. Um, But now there's something much easier, much faster without a learning curve. And there's a whole new generation of creators who have never used those tools and frankly would not tolerate the experience. Probably they want something much easier and much better.
3: Yeah, I think with the creator economy more broadly, our opinion is that this is like, I think like the VC funding and the huge companies is like kind of lagging a bit, the trends that we're seeing. So what I think we're seeing now is like very much a value creation time for the industry where we're going to see all types of companies become like the next big thing, whether it's like platforms like Brat, which are like basically trying to replace like Disney or Nickelodeon by actually making the narrative content that people are watching to like the content creation tools, to like banking and and benefits and stuff like that for these freelance creators. Um, And so I think we're expecting to see over the next few years some like huge companies come out of that space. Whereas historically, a lot of the value in the space has accrued to big companies who have like hacked together solutions that work for this market, but don't work super well and are are really hard to use.
2: Yeah. Also just throw in there, like um, some of the biggest companies the last five years have been video companies. And I mean like, you know, TikTok and Snapchat, um, the rise of YouTube is obvious. Adobe's market cap has increased significantly over the last 10 years. So there are a lot of like failed startups in this space, but there's, you know, there's all sorts of charts like Imgur, um, Whiskia, uh, Vimeo that have just increased a huge amount in value over the last uh, five, 10 years. And um, I don't think that, you know, even though there's lots of examples of ones that haven't succeeded, there's just so many examples of companies that are adding value in the space, too. So I don't think it's like a, it's not like a dead space. Totally.
0: No, no, no. I stand corrected. But well, I knew it was rising. I just thought it was, it was captured by incumbents. But TikTok, there's, there's some good examples, examples. Why, why has the rise of video surged? Or I guess more precise, was it sort of inevitable that the rise of video, would sur- that people just enjoy that better and enjoy the experience of, of viewing it better? Or what is it sort of about video relative to other other mediums? Uh,
2: video is, you know, if a, if a picture is a thousand words, <laughs> and then in video is a thousand pictures, you know, it's, it's just Some a way to communicate <laughs> content that's so much more... Um, accessible and like engaging than just uh, written content or the static visual content. So one trend that we see is that it's not just about entertainment now. A video is also about all sorts of educational formats. So we see that like students, like people that are taking courses online, aspirational learners, um, yeah, aspirational learners are demanding video content too. So There's um, all sorts of different use cases that we see applicable for like internal comms and the way that people communicate with each other um, that we think like multimedia production um, will become more important. And just like Justine and Olivia said, I I don't think it's actually about like just video. It's just that video is one um, way that people express themselves. It's really not. A totally different kind of thing than gifs or than images or than texts. Like really the reason we talk about complaining as a multimedia suite is because we think all of these things work really well together and are just different faces of the same die.
3: Yeah, I think there are um, also types of content that only really work over video or to some extent images. Like if you think about something like a clothing haul on YouTube, which are huge, or like a like a beauty, um, like get ready with me video. Like you can't do that <laughs> over text and over audio. Like you have to be able to see it or in business purposes, like teaching someone how to, to use a tool or do something. Um, or like if you're a real estate agent, giving like a tour of a house, like there are definitely cases where video is needed um, and where the content just isn't yeah. compelling without it.
1: Yeah. I think video is a lot more informational than photos and text in a lot of ways, but is also more maybe previewable and skimmable than something like audio, which is, I think, part of why it's having such a big moment now and will probably continue to increase. And
3: also, like, thanks to now subtitles, like, so many videos, people, like – you, you wouldn't like you're on Facebook in the grocery store. You're not going to like play to like hit play and like listen to something, but like you're going to, you can watch a video and see the subtitles and like get, get the message in a way that's a lot more engaging than, than text.
0: So let's, let's say us four teamed up and we're starting the video fund. We're investing in companies that, uh, you know, we're, we're taking advantage of this trend and like any good fund, we would, you know, uh, put out a request for startups, uh, for things we want to see. What would be in our request for startups?
1: We've been thinking about this for a lot of different types of online media, actually, like podcasting is another space we spent a lot of time in. We did spend some time kind of in the more traditional photo-based influencer marketing, like on platforms like Instagram. Um, I think ad tech has historically been maybe unattractive for a lot of venture capital firms, but it does feel like there will be a way in five or 10 years for brands to more authentically connect with these kinds of creators at scale. Because when you look at just like the ROI on something like a well done influencer ad, especially to these micro influencers who have like super close relationships with with their audience base, or even you know their fans or their friends, for these people that may only have a thousand or five thousand followers, it's super impressive. But there isn't a way yet for brands, I think, to really kind of crack the process of discovering
3: those um, influencers and creators and getting in touch with them. Yeah, I think just anything that helps creators be more like businesses or make their content more professional is definitely like a trend we're watching, whether it's like on the creation tool side or it's like helping them just like track who is coming to them for what type of content and like what they should do next. I think the thing, because there are, large incumbents like like youtube in the video space the thing we're always looking for is is it truly a 10x better product experience because there may be some friction um to getting people to switch and so you really want to make it like so much easier and better that it's kind of a no-brainer
2: um yeah i mean i have all sorts of ideas that i wouldn't put as a request for startups because i think we're going to build a lot of them um but I'm definitely, I definitely think there's more room on the distribution side. Um, YouTube is a huge incumbent, but there's all sorts of uh, different like search and discovery needs that I think YouTube isn't that well suited for, um, whether it's just like connecting um, with uh, your friends on like more authentic kinds of video um, or uh, having like a more permanent place for things like your stories sort of like video diaries and logs. I think that there'll be more things around like entertainment and kind of riffing off of a cultural trend, sort of like, um, you know, you could call these memes, but it's also just generally like a, a space where people can comment on something that's happening in the world with video. I think that there will be lots of different like consumer type of apps that we see around the distribution space. And then, yeah, I also think that recording, and this has, you guys already mentioned, sort of like the rise of the iPhone, the rise of the uh, mobile camera as being a huge trend that's enabled to creators. But I think that we will continue to see really interesting innovation on the recording side. Um, because, I mean, even like just in recording this podcast, um, we've had like recording problems and those problems will be solved in the next three years.
0: Yeah. Julia, why don't you talk a little bit, you, you alluded earlier to... Uh, the uh, corporate involvement as well. Why don't you talk a little bit about um, navigating consumer versus enterprise and and maybe there are lessons other founders can take from from your journey who are navigating relatively similar spaces.
2: Yeah, I definitely can comment on this and have learned a lot about it. Um, So, you know, people will always ask me, like, are you a B2C company or a B2B company? And for a long time that haunted me because I wasn't really sure myself. And then um, I heard from the head of digital marketing at Slack Holly Chen. And she was speaking on whether or not Slack was a B2B company or a B2C company. And her answer was that they were a B2C to B company. And I just love that phrase so much. And now I'm kind of sold on this idea that like, there doesn't need to be such a strict dichotomy between B2C and B2B. We have built a really great product um, experience. And in some ways it looks like a consumer product still. Um, but when you're selling a product that saves people time, when it's a, when your main value proposition is around saving people time, yeah, you're selling business value. Um, and we, we definitely plan to sort of move in the direction of selling to businesses that are making money, whether or not that's just one YouTuber who has like a small team of like VAs helping them edit content or um, whether we're talking about like a huge company that has a, like an in-house marketing team, i um, creating content full-time. So I think that there's um, those two groups of users are really important for other entrepreneurs who are thinking about this trade-off of like B2C versus B2B and what's really the difference. I think one thing you can just, use as a guiding beacon is will we make money on ads eventually is ads the like is ads the business model down the road Um, and if the answer to that is yes then um, you know you have to get a lot a lot of eyeballs and you have to bring a lot of people to your product Um, so i think that is a more helpful question than just like are you selling to consumers or are you selling to businesses because you can make a great experience for consumers that eventually sells to businesses
0: uh, so, uh, Justine and Olivia, you know, when you invest at Seed like, like we do and we're lucky to in Kapwing, you can sort of you know, make the case on the market, we talk about Rise of Video, you can say it's an exceptional founder, but you at the A, you really have to make uh, the business case for why this would be you know, potentially an independent, standalone, you know, public, public company. How did you sort of evaluate, you know, uh, for a company like Kapwing, it was obviously, you know, it's making money, it's doing well, uh, how big it could possibly get?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it came down to um, the work that we did on the creator economy, both on the business and the individual side, figuring out like, how many creators are there? How much money are are they potentially making? And then just like, in the case of something like this, you can see... The explosion of online video to businesses as well, like all different types of businesses are using video now in their internal communications or marketing or all different sorts of things. And so the market size potential there is just huge. So on both sides, on the consumer creator side, and then on the business side, there was so, there's so much opportunity.
1: Yeah. And I think when, when you look at the market cap of huge companies like Adobe, like, in our diligence, I think we found upwards of 70% of Adobe's kind of annual revenue comes from creator type tools like Photoshop and Lightroom and stuff like that. And so I mean, even if Kapwing just takes all of that revenue alone, it's a huge, multi multi billion dollar company. But I think we also believe that Kapwing will empower many more creators who never would be on Adobe on an Adobe type product. So I guess maybe for investors or consumers who aren't as close to the creator economy, it, it might seem like a smaller market size than it actually is. But I think we truly believe that this is one of the huge and enduring kind of consumer, not even a trend, but but a change in, in how people are creating and consuming content for many, many years to come.
2: Yeah. And I would also add in on that, that, um, you know, editing and creation is just the middle piece of this much broader market and space, which is uh, contains some of the things I just mentioned, like recording, video and media storage and management, collaboration with a team, distribution, sharing and publishing. So our thesis with Kapueng is that because the editing piece is in the middle and is currently offline, if you can really own editing and creation, then you can move into those adjacent mar- markets where there are all sorts of other huge companies like, you know, I mean, just so many huge companies like Dropbox and, you know, all these other companies that I mentioned, uh, not just Adobe and not just the creation slice.
1: Right. The other thing I forgot to mention, I think there was a survey that came out in the last few months that showed like the new number one um, desired job for kids in the US and the UK between the ages of like eight and 12 is now to be an online creator of some kind, like an influencer or a vlogger or something like that. So when you think about, Infrastructure or tools or, or distribution software that serves that market. It, it's hard not to believe that there's going to be several billion dollar companies in that space, given that that's where the next generation is kind of spending their time and their effort.
0: What, what do you think is the best comp for a, for a company like Capwing? Like, who do you guys model yourselves after? How do you How do you think about that? Like, sometimes people say Canva for video. Or...
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say we think of ourselves more like an Airtable or like a Notion for multimedia. Um, we really shy away from just like the from just being considered a video company because I actually think there's a huge amount of room in both like images and, and photography and in audio and other kinds of timeline content or animations um, that would be um, that we definitely plan to to sort of uh, help with help creators with too. Yeah, this uh, cloud-based collaborative in the browser across platforms um, kind of SaaS companies has been those SaaS companies have been rising in lots of different productivity verticals. And I think we see playing as the comp for those in the multimedia space.
0: Cool. Julie, why don't you give a preview for what's, uh, what's to come to Kupuang and for people who are fascinated to learn more, who potentially want to join the team or, or be involved. Uh, what can you point at?
2: Yeah, there's so many interesting things coming up. Um, if you're, we're definitely hiring right now. We've just closed our series A. So if you're interested in working on a really fun team that, builds products for creators, um, check out complain.com slash jobs. Um, And also we um, generally have a lot of interesting tools coming up for creators that are using online technologies and really uh, new ways to make the content creation process much faster and simpler. So um, if you're a creator and you're sick of how much time it takes you to make your stuff, um, check out complain because we might be able to speed up your creation workflow um, tremendously.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, my guests have been uh, Julia from for Kaboing, uh Justine Olivia Moore from CRV. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Yeah, of
3: course. Thanks. Thanks for having us.
0: If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.